know most of you ladies haven't. They say uh, men sweat, ladies glow. <laughs> <laughs> so I hope that you've had a great week. I hope you're ready to come worship because that's why we're here. We're here to sing songs uh, of praise and worship of fellowship and enjoy each other's company, each other's fellowship, and we're here to praise Jesus Christ and to hear his word proclaimed. So I trust that your hearts are ready for that. If you'd stand with me as we start, we'll start with prayer, and then we'll sing some songs to get our hearts in the right mood. Father, we do thank you for today. Um, Every day we have is a blessing. You have numbered our days, it says, and exactly how many days we're going to be on this earth you've determined before we're even born. You have laid out our life before us and the plan that you have for us. And the amazing thing for each of us here is that uh, you saw us before eternity began. You loved us. You wanted us as your own cherished possession, your child, you were willing to come to this earth and die to, to accomplish that. You, by your Holy Spirit, worked in our hearts to call us to yourself. You gave us the opportunity to speak with our lips your name and declare that you are Lord and invite you into our hearts. And now we have an untold amount of spiritual blessings, forgiveness of sins, and the Holy Spirit living inside of us to give us the power to accomplish everything you desire, and you give us the opportunity to live for you every day, the joy and peace that comes with a life that is lived for you, not on our own, not trying to seek all the things we desire and things we think are going to make us happy and joyful and peaceful, but recognizing that those things come from a surrender to you and you living in us and working through us. So, We pray that as we sing this morning, you would encourage our hearts, give us joy to sing to you, that you would give us the joy of fellowship as we stand next to each other and proclaim that you are in our lives and how much we love you, and that you would use your word this morning because it's living and powerful and able to cut into our hearts And show us more about who you are and who we are and what you desire of us. So we ask all these things this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. Wow, I closed my eyes, opened it up, and now we're doubled in number. Let's try that again. Okay, we're going to start with a scripture song, Psalm 105. Um, As God's people, he asks us, to declare to everyone all the things he does for us as part of our testimony. As we live in this world, people see us, they should be saying, man, something's different about that person. Why are you so happy? Why are you enjoying life so much? And you say, I got Jesus and all the things that he does. Give thanks to the Lord. Call upon his name. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, call upon His name, make known His deeds among the peoples. Sing to Him, sing praises to Him, speak of all His wonderful acts. Glory in His holy name, glory, glory. Let the heart of those who seek the Lord be glad. 
Seek the Lord and His strength, keep on seeking. Seek His face continually. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, call upon His name. Make known His deeds among the peoples. Sing to Him, sing praises to Him. Speak of all His wonderful continually that's a great uh, goal in life we will glorify the king of kings is a great hymn Um, we will glorify the lamb Jesus Christ uh, is due all glory and honor you read in Revelation amazing how the seraphim and cherubim and the elders and everybody who's in heaven at this point doing nothing but glorifying and praising God Almighty. He's worthy of all of our praise. We will glorify the Lord of Lords. We will glorify the King of Kings. We will glorify the Lamb. We will glorify the Lord of Lords, who is the great I Am. Lord Jehovah reigns in majesty, we will bow before His throne. We will worship Him in righteousness, we will worship Him alone. He is Lord of heaven, Lord of earth. He is Lord of all who live. He is Lord above the universe. All praise to Him we give. Hallelujah to the King of kings. Hallelujah to the Lamb. Hallelujah to the Lord of Lords, who is the great I Am. Hallelujah to the King of Kings. Hallelujah to the Lamb. Hallelujah to the Lord of Lords, who is the great I Thank you. You may be seated. If you'd like to come on uh, Wednesday night and join us as we study through the book of John, you'll learn all about those great I Ams because the Pharisees very often picking up stones to kill Jesus because he kept saying, I am. I am, the, I am God. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And they knew that he was claiming to be God the Father. Um, great hymn of very deep 
um, thought, immortal and visible, to think about uh, the Lord God Almighty and the things that he possesses. God has made us in his image, and some of the things that he has we recognize in ourselves. But there are absolute attributes of God, immortality, immutability, unchanging, all-knowing, eternal, that we can't understand, we can't grasp who God is and to fully worship him and the person that he is. And that's what this hymn is about, immortal, invisible, the only wise God. Immortal, invisible, God only wise, in light inaccessible, hid from our eyes, most blessed, most glorious, the Ancient of Days, Almighty, victorious, Thy great name we praise, unresting, unhasting, Silent as night, no wanting, no wasting, thou rulest in might. Thy justice like mountains, thy soaring above, thy clouds which are fountains of goodness and love. To all life thou givest, to both great and small, in all life thou livest, the true life of all. We blossom and flourish as leaves on the tree, and wither and perish, but not changeth thee. Great Father of glory, pure Father of light, Thine angels adore Thee, all veiling their sight. All praise we would render, oh help us to see. Tis only the splendor of light hideth Thee. This is a uh, modern hymn, Let Us Love and Sing in Wonder, and recognizing that it is He who has washed us with His blood. Let us love and sing and wonder. Let us praise the Savior's name. He has hushed the Lord's loud thunder. He has quenched Mount Sinai's flame. He has washed us with His blood. He has washed us with His blood. He has washed us with His blood. He has brought us nigh to God. Let 
Let us love the Lord who brought us, pitied us with enemies, called us by His grace and taught us, gave us ears and gave us eyes, yet washed us with His blood. He has washed us with His blood. He has washed us with His blood. He presents our souls to God. Let us sing, though fierce temptation threaten hard to bear us down. For the Lord, our strong salvation, holds in view the conqueror's crown. He who washed us with his blood. Who washed us with his blood? He who washed us with his blood soon will bring us home to God. Let us wonder grace and justice, join and point to mercy's door. When through grace in Christ our trust is, justice smiles and asks no more. He who washed us with his blood, he who washed us with his blood, he who washed us with his blood, he secured our way to God. Let us praise and join the chorus of the saints enthroned on high. Here they trusted Him before us, now their praises fill the sky. Thou hast washed us with Your blood, Thou hast washed us with Your blood, Thou hast washed us with Your blood. Thou art worthy, Lamb of God. One of the great attributes of God is His faithfulness to us. I look at Israel and their fickleness and wonder, God, how did you stick with them? (laughs) Forty years in the wilderness of griping and complaining, and yet he never let their clothes wear out. He never, they never lacked for something to eat or drink, protection from their enemies. And I'm like, Wow. And then I stop and I look at my own life and I say, God, how, how fickle am I? How many times am I doubting? You know, I've seen you a hundred times do something in my life and provide. And, and, and then I question, I, I worry that he's going to come through this time. How fickle am I? But it's amazing the faithfulness of God despite my faithlessness. Great is thy faithfulness, Lord, unto me. Great is thy faithfulness.
Our reading this morning is found in the book of Revelation, last book of the Bible, the great revealing of God and his plan for the end of this world. We'll be looking at Revelation chapter 1, reading verses 12 to 18. So if you have a Bible with you, if you turn there, if not, there's a Bible, should be one in front of you in the pew, or if you'd like to just sit and listen to the Word of God, Revelation chapter 1. Verses 12 to 18. Then I turned to see the voice that was speaking with me, and having turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. And in the middle of the lampstands, I saw one like the Son of Man, clothed in a robe reaching to his feet, girded across his chest with a golden sash. His head and his hair were white, like white wool, like snow, and his eyes were a flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze when it has been made to glow in a furnace, and his voice was like the sound of many waters. In his right hand he held seven stars, and out of his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword. His face was like the sun shining in its strength. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet like a dead man. And he placed his right hand on me, saying, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last and the living one, and I was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore, and I have the keys of death and of Hades. Would you pray with me? It's beyond our comprehension, Father, to imagine what Jesus looks like right now in heaven. Um... As John, we would probably fall at his feet as dead men for the awesomeness, the power, the glory that he possesses now. But one day you're going to make us be able to stand in in his presence. You are going to call us to yourself. You're going to glorify us so that we'll be fit for heaven and be able to live and fellowship with you and with your son in heaven forever and we long for that it's easy to get caught up in this world and everything our eyes see but we need spiritual eyesight we need you by your spirit to open our spiritual eyes that we can realize what awaits us there is a billion billion times greater than anything that's here that we can possess and to long to be made whole, to be finished the redemption that you've promised, to be made like you. Give us hearts that long for that. Give us hearts that love you the way you deserve to be loved, that desire to worship you the way you, des- you need to be worshipped. Open our hearts this morning as we hear your word. We ask it in Christ's name. Amen. Good morning. Great to see you all here on this Lord's Day, this Communion Sunday. Glad you could be with us this July 4th weekend. 
as a country we celebrate our freedoms and indeed we have blessed been blessed as you all know in this country to have really a lot of freedoms it's indeed i believe one of the greatest countries this world has ever seen and we thank the lord for that but more than that is we thank the lord for the freedoms that we have in christ being freedom from sin freedom from death that's what's most important and we always want to remember that we sometimes stress and emphasize too much these freedoms in our country but most important, we must be thankful for the freedoms that we have as, as Christians. Steve was reading there in, in Revelation chapter 1, and the readings of the last couple months as we're going through the Gospel of John are typically trying to relate to the person of Christ. You might wonder, what does it have to do with the Gospel of John? Well, it relates to the person of Christ, and it's, it's a wonderful picture. I mean, it's just, it's, it's really an incredible picture of who he is. And I love that one. I, I love that picture of Christ presented in Revelation chapter 1. As you know, we're going through the Gospel of John today. I want to look at two chapters, John 9 and 10. And you might wonder how we're going to get through two chapters, but we'll see what we can do here. It's more of a summary. Turn first to John chapter 9, verses 1 through 7. John chapter 9, 1 through 7. John 9 says, as he passed by, that is, Jesus passed by, he saw a blind man from birth, and his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he had be born blind? Jesus answered, it was neither that this man sinned nor his parents, but it was so that the works of God might be displayed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me as long as it is day, night is coming when no, man, no one can work. While I'm in the world, I am the light of the world. When he had said this, he spat on the ground, made his clay of the spittle, and applied the clay to his eyes, and said to him, Go wash in the pool of Siloam, which is translated sent. So he went away and washed and came back seen. Now, one of God's primary purposes on this earth is to display his work. And I just want to go through a few points from these verses here, but that's the first main one here. Read about this man who had been blind from birth, and the question was, well, hey, why was he blind? Because he sinned or his parents sinned. That was a common thinking, and we all might think that sometime. Why is this happening? Is it because of sin? What Jesus said is very interesting. He tells us that the reason, the overriding reason for his blindness is because God wants to accomplish his works. He wants to display his works. He wants people to see his works. And and we can talk about all the sin in this world and all the bad things that happen in this world, but we must always see, very important point here, God is sovereign over all the sin. Sovereign. That he somehow allows it to happen. He is sovereign over all the sin, so as then to accomplish his works, to fulfill his purposes. That's what God wants to do. We have so many examples. You go back to the time of Noah and all the sinful people on the world. Why did God allow all that? God was sovereign, and God used that for his purposes. He used that to accomplish his works. You look at the example of World War II, one of the most devastating wars in the history of our world, and all the people that died in this crazy madman named Hitler. I mean, it was, it was atrocious. It was terrible. God was sovereign. But the big thing, the Acts 2, 23, 24, that sums up what, how God was sovereign over the lives of the Roman and Jewish rulers in bringing Jesus to death, but he wanted that that we could be saved from our sins. So this point of God being sovereign over the sin of man so as to accomplish his purposes is always, always important. It must be paramount in our minds, and you think about your own lives. 
Think about things that have happened that are difficult or hard or bad or sinful. God's sovereign. God is sovereign. God is working it out. He is displaying his works. There's something else about this. Turn a couple pages to John chapter 11, verse 4. The story that we'll talk about this next week, but it's about the raising Lazarus from the dead. But verse 4 really sums up this chapter. When Jesus heard this, he said, The sickness of Lazarus is not to end in death, but for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified by it. So Lazarus is sick, and he dies. We know that Jesus then raises him from the dead, and it's a miraculous work of God, but why? It's so God can get the glory. That's it. That's the reason for this miraculous work of God. The point, point I want to say here is that, is that uh, God is doing things in each and every one of your lives, and he wants to accomplish his works in and through your lives so that he gets the glory. These are big picture points here. Don't forget them. God is working in your life so that he can, uh, he can get, be glorified. This is what he wants for you. See, all of life then is about how God is working in and through you so he then can be glorified. That's what it is. I, I, I was looking at a verse here and trying to memorize this one, Psalm 109. Really love it. sums up this point here. It says, But you, sovereign Lord, help me for your namesake, and out of the goodness of your love deliver me. So it's a prayer. Help me, Lord. Help me. Help me. Why? For your sake. Help me for your sake. Not my sake. Yes, but ultimately for your sake. Help me, O sovereign Lord, for your name's sake and out of the goodness of your love deliver me. He's in some kind of problem. He says, God, help me, deliver me, save me for your sake. Really, it's great, great verses. So that's the first point. God wants to display his works for his purposes and also for his glory. Secondly, we're to do the works that God wants us to do. When Jesus was on earth 2,000 years ago, he was the light of the world. We know that. Holy, sinless, powerful, loving, doing all the work that God wanted him to do. We know then that he was ascended into heaven. And we know then that shortly after that time that the church uh, started and the church then was to be the light of the world and was to do the work that God wanted her to do. Turn to Matthew 5, familiar verses here. Matthew chapter 5, verse 14 to 16. It says, verse 14, you're the light of the world. The city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor does anyone light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on the lampstand, and it gives light. a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. It's a great truth here about your lives. Each of you are little lights. The church is to be the big light representing Christ because the church is the body of Christ. But each of you as a member of the body of Christ are to be little lights. God has placed you where you're at in life and with the people that you're with so you can be a light to them. You all have family. You have friends. Maybe you work at a job, people here in church. God wants you to be a light. I love it. A light of Christ, a light. So you can do the works that he wants you to do so that he then can work in you and do his work in and through you. That's, that's what he wants. Such an encouraging and important truth that you're to do the works of, works of God, and you can. 
It's by God's grace. By God's grace, you can fulfill his purposes. You can do the work that he wants you to do. Great verse here. I've shared this before, but I really, I really love this one. Jeremiah 1, 4. I'll read it. Before, talking to Jeremiah, but it applies to all of us. Before you were formed in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you. I've appointed you as a prophet to the nations. <laughs> On one hand, it's a, it's a really powerful pro-life verse. Really powerful. Let me read it again. Before you were formed in the womb, I knew you. Which means he really knew us way back in eternity past. He formed us. This is just like Psalm 139. He formed us. Before you were born, I consecrated you. I had plans for your life. I made you the way you are physically, emotionally, spiritually, so you can do the works that he wants. I've appointed you as a prophet of the nation. So four verbs there. He knew, he formed, he consecrated, and he appointed. That was for Jeremiah. But it's for your life as well. This is, this is what God wants. That he wants to do us to do the works that he sent us to do. Third, there's a coming a time that we can work no more. When all the work God wants us to do is done. I hope you think about this. There's coming a time when you can't do any more of the works God wants on this earth. Your time is up. And of course, God's got all the works planned anyway. We know that. We are his workmanship created in Christ to do good works for God planned before him that we should walk in them. So we are to do his works. Now, there's really two scenarios here at this time in our history. Either you live as a Christian and then physically die. Okay? That could happen. And during the course of your life here on this earth, you're to do the works that God wants you to do. Then you die. You go to heaven. Very simple. Or, because we're in the end times, you, I, we don't know the day or the hour, might be here when Christ comes back and when the rapture takes place. And so in that case, your life will probably be shortened by some years. Okay, You won't live a normal life of 70, 80, 90 years, whatever it might be. And so you understand that too. Either way, either way, we only have so much time to work. And night is coming when no man can work, when all our work will be done. It's important to think about this. I have a picture in my house, and the picture's not important. It's what I put on top of the picture. It's a picture that's about 21 inches horizontal on the top, okay, side to side, 21 inches. There's a stone 18 inches. That represents my life, where I'm at. I've done the math. I've done the ratios. Okay, 80 years, I think, about how long I'll live. That's what they say in the Bible, 80. That's pretty normal. That's the average stats. 80 years, I'm 68, so 68 over 80 is the same as 18 over 21. So there I am. So I see it. I said, wow, there are only three inches left. That's not much. That motivates me. That is not much. We need to see that. We, we need, as it says in Psalm 90, teach us to number our days. Okay, I just heard 25,000 days back two months ago. First part of May. And I got a few thousand left, I believe. I think. I don't know for sure. No one knows their time. But you need to think this way that God has us here to do His work, and there'll come a time when we can do His work no more. The verse that sums up these points here really is the verse that Jesus shared, John 17, 4. I brought you glory on earth by completing the work you gave me to do. We talk about God's work for us, we talk about bringing Him glory. That's a great verse. I, I've told you, I, that's one of my life verses. It's a simple one. You can all memorize that. I brought you glory on earth by completing the work you gave me to do. Okay, fourth point. This physically blind man was healed by Jesus. 
It was a miraculous healing. No one could have done it, but God, of course, God, Jesus is God's son. He then did that. Turn to Psalm 103, familiar verses here, encouraging verses. It's a wonderful psalm. It's a psalm of blessing. It's, it's, I know, some people's favorite psalms. psalm. I remember Vicki, whose birthday would have been tomorrow. This is one of her favorites. I always remember that, her favorite psalm. First one, bless the Lord, O my soul, all that is within me, bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget none of his benefits, who pardons all your iniquities, who heals all your diseases. She had a fair amount of diseases, okay, or really one major one. They're all healed, okay. She's in heaven now with the Lord. That's, that's good. That's really encouraging. But the point here is this tells that God heals all diseases. And if you're sick and if you get better, God gets the credit, right? Right? Yeah, there's doctors. There's nurses, there's medicines, there's hospitals. Of course, there are all these things. And I assume that most of you here have been to a doctor or a nurse, or most of you have taken medicine now and then, or maybe you take a lot of medicine. I don't know, whatever. But the point is that God is the one that really keeps this amazing, amazing body going. He's the one that heals us, and he gets the credit. Of course, it's coming, and I've got to share this, is coming a time we'll be given a brand new body. Never get sick, never need to be healed perfect body, glorious body. It says in 1 Corinthians 15, four words, powerful, immortal, glorious, and spiritual body this will be. And what a day that will be when we all have our glorified body. John 9, next point here. Back to John 9. John 9, in summary... It's about two kinds of healing, physical healing and spiritual healing. Verse 7 is the verse that tells us that God physically healed this person, and verse 8 is the one that says that he was spiritually healed by Jesus. I want you to look at John chapter 9, verses 35 to 39. John 9, 35 to 39 says, Jesus heard that they had put him out, and finding him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? He answered, Who is he, Lord, that I may believe in him? Jesus said to him, You have both seen him, and he is the one who is talking with you. And he said, Lord, I believe, and he worshipped him. And Jesus said, For judgment I came into this world so that those who do not see may see, and that those who see may become blind. So, verse 7 says that Jesus healed this man's blindness, this physical blindness, but we see that he does not heal his spiritual blindness at that time. That takes place, as we see, in verse 38, and what it says there is two things about this man. It says he believed in Jesus and he worshiped him. Now, it doesn't say he got saved or born again, but if he believed and worshiped, that means he did get saved. That means he did become a child of God. He did then was then one who received eternal life. Now, one of the themes in this chapter, then, is this, is this blindness, both physical blindness and spiritual blindness, and God is the one who heals both. But spiritual blindness, we all understand this, is much worse than physical blindness, right? If a person is spiritually blind and stays spiritually blind his whole entire life, that means he's separated from God, and then he physically dies, then he'll be in hell forever. That's not good. Now, but let's say a person's physically blind. During his life, in, in, during the whole course of his life, he's physically blind. But then there comes a point in time in his life when he gets saved, becomes a, a Christian, his spiritual blindness is taken away. And that's really good news. 
And the future, as we've just said, in the future, at the coming of Christ, you'll get a brand new body, you'll get brand new physical eyes, he'll be able to see perfectly and forever. So clearly, the spiritual blindness is, is, is the main problem, and that's really the main theme here. We, this whole main theme of John, one of the main themes, is Jesus wants to save us from our sins, and this spiritual blindness is just one way to talk about our problem that we have. Number six, again we see that people are divided about Christ. And this is the way it's supposed to be. And this is the way that God wants it. John chapter 9, 13 to 17. They brought to the Pharisees the man who was formerly blind. It was on Sabbath on the day when Jesus made the clay and opened his eyes. And the Pharisees who were asking him again how he received his sight and he said to them, he applied clay to my eyes, and I washed, and I see. Therefore, some of the Pharisees were saying, this man is not from God because he does not keep the Sabbath. Others said, how can a man who's a sinner perform such signs? And there was a division among them. So they said to the blind man again, what do you say about him since he opened our eyes? And he said, he is a prophet. God wants division among people on this earth. I'm talking about a division between unbelievers and believers. And it's going to get worse and worse. I think we can see it as we look around at our cities, our country, our culture. It's getting worse and worse and worse. He wants there to be division, so there's a clear demarcation, a clear understanding of who's saved and who's not saved. He wants that. I'm not saying you're trying to push that, but it just happens. There's other verses in the gospel where it talks about you know, parents against children, children against parents, brother against sister, sister against brother. That's the way it is, and that's the way it's going to be. And it's going to get worse and worse and worse as we move closer and closer to the coming of Christ. Now, some Pharisees said that Jesus wasn't from God. And we saw in John chapter 8 that they thought this guy's from the devil, that he had demons. Okay, now here we have this, this man who's healed. What does he say? He says, this, this man's a prophet. And he was a prophet, more than a prophet, but Jesus was a prophet. And many, many people agreed. So that's just an example, again, of that division takes place. John 9, 18 to 22. The Jews then did not believe it of him that he had been blind and had received sight until they called the parents of the very one who had received his sight and questioned them, saying, Is your son who you say was born blind? Is this your son who you say was born blind? Then how does he now see? His parents answered them and said, we know that this is our son and that he was born blind, but how does he now see? But how he now sees, we do not know, or who opened his eyes, we do not know. Ask him. He is of age. He will speak for himself. His parents said this because they were afraid of the Jews, for the Jews had already agreed that if anyone confessed him to be Christ, he was to be put out of the synagogue. For this reason, his parents said, he is of age ask him. And so the Jewish person at that time, it tells us here, could actually be thrown out of the synagogue if he was one who openly admitted and confessed that Jesus was the Christ, the Messiah, the one prophesied in the Old Testament be the coming king. He could be thrown out. That was persecution. Persecution back then. Always been persecution throughout history against believers. And of course, this is happening in many places in our world, and more and more is happening in our country as well. I said this in the recent past, but it just, it just really shocks me. I mean, I've been saved for 50 years. I've been watching this stuff for 50 years. It's just the devil has been given more room and reign and freedom to do what he wants to do, the evil, than I've ever seen before, the, the lawlessness. 
the lying, the, the perversion is just sickening. It, it just, it's just galling what's happening in, in our country and our world now. And yes, it's because of sinful people, but it's also because the devil has been allowed a lot more free reign. No doubt about it. There is no doubt about that. And so the devil's working through his demons, his people, and he is one then who is hating and persecution, persecuting Christians. That's what's going on. Again, it's going to get worse before it gets better. It won't really get better till Christ comes back. Matthew 24, 9 sums up how bad it's going to be. Then they will deliver you to tribulation will kill you. That's pretty bad. If you're persecuted and they're taking you in to kill you, that's really bad. That's the worst it can get, right? That's what's going to happen. You get closer to the end times. Christ, coming to Christ, it is. And then it says, then I'll say that, it says, and you'll be hated by all nations because of my name. So you see the severity, killing, murdered for your faith, and the scope. The whole world. The whole world of unbelievers is against the whole world of Christians. That's where we are going. Next point here is this. I'll just mention this briefly. A person's testimony is powerful. Three different times we read that uh, this man testified. Three different times he testified. People kept asking, well, what happened? Well, Jesus healed me. He gave glory to God. That's what he did. It's a wonderful thing. And, and, and the point is simple. Is, is, as, as Christians, one of the most important things to have on the tip of our lips in our hearts and on our lips is a testimony. I mean, it could be a one-sentence testimony. It could be a minute. It could be a three-minute. It's important for you to think about how God saved you and be ready, as it says in 1 Peter 3, to share a defense of, 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 hey, the fact that you're saved. Very important. You've all got a testimony as Christians, and God wants you to be ones who share it with others. Okay, that's done for, that's it for John 9. That's our summary, okay? Spiritual blindness, God heals, does the works of God so that God can be glorified. John 10. This chapter is about Jesus being the good shepherd. You you all know this story. I I can't help but think you've read this or heard this many times. That he's the good shepherd means we're sheep. And God could have used any animal that he wanted to use. He picked sheep. One of the reasons, because sheep are very common. A lot of shepherds back there in the nation of Israel and that whole part of the world, it was shepherds, people saw sheep all the time. They knew what sheep were like. And what were sheep like? They're dumb, senseless, you know, you know, would wander, could get dirty easily, could get stuck. You know, the whole thing about being downcast is this sheep on its back and its spindly little legs just up in the air. He couldn't right himself. That's one reason they had this shepherd's crook so that he could help get the sheep back up on its feet. Weak, helpless, defenseless. They go astray. That's, that's what we're saying here. And they need a shepherd or else they die. Matthew 9 says they were distressed, talking about people. Jesus looking at the people. Could see them, says they were distressed and downcast like sheep without a shepherd. It's important for us to think about people that way. We see people, we go out in the crowds of them all on the streets or we know people who aren't saved. They're distressed. They're downcast, okay? And they oftentimes do the things they do, whether it's a lot of TV or whether it's drugs or whether it's food or whatever, to take away their pain. Other version says they're harassed and helpless. Distressed and downcast, harassed and helpless is what's going on. And Jesus is the good shepherd. 
And we're just going to go over this briefly. We could spend a lot of time. I just want to summarize some things. Turn to John chapter, you're there, John 10, verses 1 through 6. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter by the door into the fold of the sheep but climbs up some other way, he is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is a shepherd of the sheep. To him the doorkeeper opens, and the sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he puts forth all his own, he goes ahead of them, and the sheep follow him because they know his voice. A stranger they simply will not follow, but will flee from him because they do not know the voice of the strangers. This figure of speech, Jesus spoke them, but they did not understand what those things were which he had been saying to them. So let me just explain it briefly. First of all, shepherds would have a sheep pen, okay? Typically, sheep are out during the daytime in the pasture land getting fed, right? Come back at night, and sometimes, you know, we read the story about Jesus being born. They're out in the fields at night, but most often, they go back into the sheep pen, Okay? And the shepherd would go through the door or the gate. The sheep would go through this door or gate to get in and out, to enter and leave the sheep pen. Very, very simple here. Read about three kinds of people in these first few verses. First, there were the sheep, thieves, and the robbers. They represent the false teachers. They represent the false prophets, the false shepherds. They are the kind of people who lead people astray away from God. That's what he's saying right here. These people don't go through the gate. They go over the fence. So first you have the thieves and the robbers. Second, you have the shepherd. The true shepherd, he goes through the doorway. He goes through the gate. He knows every one of his sheep. He knows them. He cares for them. Takes care of them. Makes sure they're fed. That's what he does. He watches over them. He leads them. And they follow him. That's what happened. The sheep then know the shepherd. It says there they actually know his voice, which is true. They, they know his voice. I mean, and animals are like that. You know, if, if you have a dog, you know, and you're the owner of the dog, the dog knows your voice. Some stranger comes by, doesn't know the strangers, knows your voice, okay? That's probably true with a lot of animals, but it's true for sheep as well. They would know his voice. They would be ones who would follow the shepherd and go where the shepherd would go. They would be a trust that the sheep had for the shepherd. They had this relationship. I just mentioned dogs. You all understand this in our culture. A lot of people have dogs. That's fine, a family dog. And you've seen this where, you know, there's the person with their dog in their house and the dog's friendly and the person sits on the couch and the dog jumps up on the couch or sits down beside him or sometimes at night, you know, the person goes to bed and the dog jumps on the bed. You know, there's this relationship. Well, the sheep and the shepherd had this relationship. Okay, that's what was going on. Then there's a doorkeeper. He's a person hired by the sheep to help out, okay, and, but, but typically, he was one as his doorkeeper hired at night. You know, make sure nobody got through that door. Make sure there's no robbers. Make sure there's no bad animals who come in and just try to kill one of those sheep for his meal. And we see here that the sheep would also know the doorkeeper's voice, okay? That's what we understand. Continue on, John 10, 7 to 9. Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. I am the door. If anyone enters through me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. You have to understand this is very important here. We have two analogies. Verse 2 talks about the shepherd. Jesus is the shepherd. That is, he's the one who takes care of the sheep. What verse 7 says, very, you've got to see this. He says, I am the door of the sheep. I'm the door. 
on the gate. He changes the analogy. It's a new analogy. It's a new illustration. I'm the shepherd, but I'm also the door. I'm also the gate. And all he was saying was this, is I am the means of salvation. That's it. I'm the way you get saved. John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father but through me, through me, through this gate. That's what he was saying. So, so it helps you understand what's going on in this chapter. He's the shepherd, but he's also the Savior. Okay? That's, that's, that's what we have to see right here. Now, John 10, 10, we continue. Thief comes to, only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they might have life and have it abundantly. It's, it's a wonderful verse. It's a verse of contrast. And verses that contrast help us to see much more clearly what's going on. The thief comes to steal Kill and destroy, you can say that relates to the devil, or that refers to false teachers, false prophets. You know, I think either one would fit in there. And, but particularly the devil. You know, we see a lot of stealing and a killing and murder. And I've mentioned it before, but the devil is not ultimately responsible. If somebody dies, the fault really goes to the person who did it. If he steals, kills, destroys. But the devil really tempts people, really pushes people. He's really involved and probably more so than we ever realized. I just mentioned that before. He's more and more been let loose in this country. We see all this stuff. We see the stealing. I mean, you guys seen the stores rob people, just mass, you know, mass thievery, you know, going in, or what do they call them, mobs, you know, the killing, the murder. It's, it's really sad. I mean, I, I, I read stories about every day about somebody getting murdered, and you've heard some this week, I'm sure, if you're following the news, and it's just sick. It's just really sick. But Jesus came, and this is such a, a good point, he came to give us life, a wonderful life, to give it to the full. It's, it's, it's wonderful. Now and forever. It's, it's a great way to sum up. God really wants to bless you. Sometimes it doesn't seem that way or feel that way when we go through difficulties or trials, but that he, that's what he wants to do. That's his, one of his ultimate goals for you is to really bless you, give you a full life. But again, the devil hates us. He wants to hurt us, wants to ruin our lives, wants to make us miserable. That's what he desires to do. He continued, John 10, 11 through 19. I'm the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He was a hired hand. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who is not the owner of the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he's a hired hand, not concerned about the sheep. I'm the good shepherd, and I know my own, and my own know me, even as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep which are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will hear my voice. They'll become one flock with one shepherd. For this reason, the Father loves me because I lay down my life for life so that I may take it again. No one has taken it away from me, but I lay it down on my own initiative. I have authority to lay it down. I have authority to take it up again. The commandment I received from my father, division occurred again among the Jews because of these words. Okay, there's a lot here. Just to summarize a few points. First of all, Jesus is a shepherd. If you're a Christian, he's your shepherd. That's the fact. That's the truth can't change it. If you're a Christian, you're a sheep, he's your shepherd, and you need him. You will be, spiritually speaking, distressed and downcast. You'll feel harassed and helpless Helpless is, is if you aren't looking to him as your shepherd. You need him. Jesus, then, we talked before about how as people we can be helpless and weak and go astray, and Jesus is the one who wants to help us every step of the way. He wants to be a shepherd every day, all the time. 
24-7. He wants to be your shepherd every situation. You all go through a lot of different things in life. Lots of different things happen in your life. Every day there's just all this, that, and the other. He wants to be with you where you're at to help you where you're at. That's what he wants to do. We see that he's a good shepherd, not just a good shepherd. He's a great shepherd. He's a perfect shepherd. And I must say he then is perfect for you. Jesus knows how to shepherd believers. He knows you. He knows how to love you. He knows how to lead you. And this is a truly amazing thing. For you're down on this earth, and sometimes, you know, you probably feel alone. You're by yourself. You're not alone. The good shepherd, through the Holy Spirit, he is with you all the time. He is with you. And so you have a good shepherd. Now, I can't go through this out going back to at least read Psalm 23 which could be a message on its own. If you want to just listen, you can, or go back there and read it. Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me besides quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in the paths of righteousness for his namesake. And even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You've anointed my head with oil, and my cup overflows. Surely, goodness and loving kindness will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Favorite psalm? People, if you take a poll, always, always comes out number one. And there's a reason. Because we see that we're the sheep and he's the shepherd and the truths there that what he does for us are just so, so encouraging. And so with the help of God the Father and the Holy Spirit, Jesus then shepherds you wisely. He is one who is powerfully involved in your life, intervening in your life, helping you to be what he wants you to be, helping you to do what he wants you to do, helping you then to fulfill the plans he has for your life. It says there, John back in John 10, Jesus lays his life down for the sheep. This just refers to the fact that Jesus died for you. That's all it means, that he gave his life for you. And that he died for you and gave his life for you means that he redeemed you and that he perfectly loves you. And he'll perfectly and continually love you forever and ever and give you, give you all that you ever need. This verse here, Romans 8, he who did not spare his own life from us but delivered his own son for us, will he not also with him freely give us all things. And so the greater is that he died for us. The lesser is I'll give you everything else you need to make it through life. Again, Savior and Shepherd, he is our good shepherd. Now, Jesus is not like the hired hand. And some hired hands weren't as committed as others. Jesus was perfectly committed. He was always committed to you, to believers. He's perfectly, eternally, strongly committed to you. You have eternal life, and, and, and Jesus, your shepherd, is going to make sure you keep your eternal life. That's what he's going to do. Again, one of the main purposes of the shepherd is protect you, to guard you, to defend you from all evil, all enemies. This verse I shared before, so important, Second Timothy 4. The Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and will bring me safely to his heavenly kingdom. What a promise. He'll rescue you from every evil deed. If you are one of his sheep, you're one of his sheep. Always stay that way. That's what's going to happen. And so John 10, 14, back there, John chapter 10, 14 says, I'm the good shepherd, and I know my own, and my own know me. Even as the Father knows me, 
I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. So Jesus, your good shepherd, he knows you. He knows you inside and out, physically, emotionally, mentally, uh, every which way. Turn to Psalm 139. The, the first part of this chapter talks about how he knows you. Some of the, maybe some of the best verses of the Bible about how he, the Lord knows you. Psalm 139, verses 1 to 6. Well, Lord, you've searched me and know, known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You understand my thought from afar. You scrutinize my path and my lying down and are intimately acquainted with all my ways. Even before there's a word on my tongue, behold, O oh Lord, you know it all. You've enclosed me behind and before and laid your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is too high. I cannot attain it. That, is, that last verse is just saying, hey, if you know this, knowing that Jesus knows you so well, that should encourage you. You want him to know you. He knows everything about you past, present, and future, every which way he knows you. So good. Says you know your shepherd too. Not as good as he knows you, of course, but you do know him. And God wants you to continually grow in your knowledge of him, and you will, through this life and through the next. That's what he wants for you. And you should want to grow. This is, this is an important thing. You should, well, yes, I want to grow. I want to get to know the Lord better and better. Hosea 6.3 says, let us press on to know the Lord. Philippians chapter 3, verse 10, I want to know Christ. And you go to Ephesians 1, 15 to 17. It's a wonderful prayer how we need to pray for ourselves and others that they grow in their relationship. They grow in knowing the Lord. And this is, this, my son just read this book. And in fact, it's, just, it's, it's a book has been around for many years. A.W. Tozer, Knowledge of the Holy. And, and he, he starts off his first chapter about the most important thing for you is to know the Lord. And so he goes on. It's a, it's a book about attributes. It's a wonderful little book about attributes. And so important. So, you know, a simple prayer for your life and for others, your friends, your family, is just pray that they get to know the Lord better. It could be love, power, kindness, sovereignty, wisdom. I mean, there's so many different facets of, of knowing the Lord. And, again, it's not just head knowledge. It's heart knowledge. It's life knowledge. That's what we're saying. So just pray that. And I'm convinced that you pray that. God's going to do that. And in different situations or things will happen or relationships or conflicts or trials will happen where that opportunity to get to know the Lord better. We see that. We continue on here. John ten sixteen. Other sheep, not of this fold, I must bring them also, and they will hear my voice. They will become one flock with one shepherd. There's just different thoughts about what this means. I'm just going to sum up, up very quickly. I just believe it means that he's talking about the Gentiles. Okay, He's, this, this passage, I mean, the Gospels are all really focused on the Jews. Yeah, there's some talk about Gentiles, not much. But here he said, I got Gentiles. That's what I believe he's saying here. And, and we see that, that. We see that in the book of Acts, how God then begins to reach out to the Gentiles through Paul and others. John 10, 25 to 30. Jesus answered, I told you, you do not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name, these testify of me. Of me, But you don't believe because you're not of my sheep. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me, and I give eternal life to them, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. 
Two of the best assurance verses in the whole Bible right there, we see. But, but, he's, but he's talking about unbelievers not being, you know, his sheep. They don't know the Lord. But believers hear his voice, and they follow him. They believe him, all these things. And Jesus then is their shepherd. He leads them, and they follow him. But one more important thing I just alluded to. God the Father, along with Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit, are going to keep you completely safe and secure forever and ever and ever. And this is one of the most important and greatest truths there is. I believe in the Bible. It's right there in the top ten someplace. That God will keep you saved. You can't lose your salvation. A lot of, not a lot, a number of churches, and maybe they're not even churches, but would say that you can lose your salvation. You can't lose your salvation. It doesn't make sense. If Jesus died and paid for all your sins, that means every one of them, even that one that some people say, well, you just commit that sin, you, you lose your salvation. No. He's going to keep you safe and secure and saved and love forever and ever and ever. Many verses on this, 1 Corinthians 1, 8, 9, he'll keep you strong to the end so you're blameless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. Philippians 1, 6, I'm confident this very thing that he who began a good work and you will complete this work, Jude 24 and 5. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and make you stand in his presence blameless with great joy, to him be the glory. And the final one, Romans 8, you can turn there, Romans 8. You know these two. And these are important because all these talk about the, the power of God and, 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 and the love of God and, and really the sovereignty of God. You go back to Romans eight twenty eight. God works all things together for good. And, and, and in this context, what he's saying is all the things that go on in your life, God's going to work it out and you're going to make it to the end. And as verse 29, after verse 28 says, you will then be glorified. You'll get a brand new body. That's what he's saying there. Well, I'm going to read these verses 35 to the end. Who will separate us from the love of God? Will tribulation or distress, or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? Just as it is written, for your sake we are being put to death all day long. We, are cons- we were considered as sheep to be slaughtered. But in all these things we overwhelmingly conquer through him who loved us. For I'm convinced that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor things to present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Let's pray. Dear Father, thank you for this time. We looked at John 9 and John 10. A lot of truth there. Just summarize some things. But I just pray as we finish this last part about you, Lord Jesus, being our shepherd. We'd more understand what that means, and, and we want you to be, we want you to be your, sh- your shepherd. We would be, want to be good sheep and follow you and listen to you and, and, and do whatever you're saying. If sometimes we're harassed or helpless, we feel downcast or distressed, that we go to you. Help us, Lord, more and more to be ones who are, are following you all the time. We know that you're always with us, that you'll never leave us. We understand that. The security verses given to us there, the assurance verses in the end of Romans 8. But, Lord, we still just want to know you and know your presence. And not that we always feel your presence, but, God, sometimes you do. Sometimes you give us that kind of assurance. But, Lord, just help us to be confident of our relationship with you. This is so important, again, because it reminds us of your love for us, your commitment to us, your power, your strength. It's a wonderful thing. And so thank you again for each one here. Thank you for those who are listening on. Lord, we bless you for your love for us. Thank you for, again, your faithfulness to us, your kindness to us. Just continue to help us, to encourage us, to use us, God, to use the gifts you've given us. 
Lord, to be ones who are faithful to share our testimonies and the truth of the gospel with, with, with the loss is, is God. You give opportunity. You open up doors for that. We ask you for that. We pray, Lord, for your protection for us individually and as a church. We ask you to do that. We know that we are in a spiritual battle. We know where our, our country is at to some degree, Lord, and we, we see really sinful things taking place. But, Lord, we just pray. We thank you for being here. As one person said, the darker the night, the brighter the light. Indeed, it's becoming more and more dark in this country. Help us to be bright. Help us to be the light you want us to be, Lord, and help us not to be affected and let us stray be dirtied by the world, so to speak, spiritually dirtied. Help us, God, to stay holy and clean and be that light that you want us to be. So we, th- we thank you again for the opportunity we have to, to, to be your children and, and that you have put us together here. And I know some are gone this weekend, different time, places with family, friends, whatever. And pray for them too, God, that you just bring them back safely. But thank you again now for this time that we give us together. We thank you again for this communion time too. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. If our singers can come up, we'll begin our communion time. A couple songs to sing, and my wife wanted this one we're going to sing. It's one of her favorites. It's a fountain, so she is getting better, healing up, and hopefully she'll be here next week. We'll see how that works out, but thank you for your prayers for her. So let's sing this song. Together, then we'll have communion together. Would you stand with us as we sing this communion song? As Steve said, we're identified as Christians, as uh, sheep of his hand, and one of the things that uh, marks us... As Christians, too, is that we've been to the fountain and washed by the blood. There is a fountain filled with blood. There is a fountain filled with blood from Emmanuel's grave. Beneath that thought Lose all their guilty sins Lose all their guilty sins Lose all their guilty sins And sinners plunge beneath that thought Lose all their guilty sins The dying feet Rejoice to see that fountain in his day. And there may I go bow as he wash all my sins away. Wash all my sins away. Wash all my sins away. And there may Wash all my sins away The dying lamb, thy precious blood Shall never lose its power Till all the lands of church of God 
이제 드신 너머 이제 드신 너머 이제 드신 너머 To all the lands and church of God Be saved to sin no more Their sins by faith I saw the stream Thy blowing wounds apply Redeeming love has been my theme And shall be till I die And shall be till I die. And shall be till I die. e love has been nothing. And shall be till I die. In this boyless, bleeding, stammering tongue, I silent in the grave. Sweeter song, I'll sing thy power to save. I'll sing thy power to save. I'll sing thy power to save. Then in a nobler, sweeter song, I'll sing thy power to save. Thank you. May be seated. During this communion time, what I want to do today is just read a, a page from Spurgeon's book, His Morning and Evening, it's April 4th, relates to our time together here. Morning Christian, why do you weep? Are you mourning over your own corruptions? Look to your perfect Lord and remember you are complete in him. You are in God's sight as perfect as if you had never sinned. More than that, the Lord, our righteousness, has put a divine garment on you so that you have more than the righteousness of man. You have the righteousness of God. You who are mourning by reason of inbred sin and depravity, remember, none of your sins can condemn you. You've learned to hate sin, but you've also learned that sin is not yours. It was laid on Christ's head. Your standing is not in yourself, it is in Christ. Your acceptance is not in yourself, but in your Lord. You're all as much accepted of, of God today with all your sinfulness as you'll be when you stand before his throne, free from all corruption. Lay hold on this precious thought, perfection in Christ. For you're complete in him. With your Savior's garments on, you are as holy as the Holy One. It is Christ who died and was risen again, for who at, who's at the right hand of God making intercession for us. When your time comes, you'll rise up where Jesus sits and reign at his right hand. Even as he has overcome and has sat down at his Father's right hand. All this because the divine Lord was made to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. At this point in time, we just want to take a couple minutes where you before the Lord can share your heart and confess any sins. We want to be right personally and collectively right before the Lord as before we take the communion together.
Dear Father, thank you for this time you've given us to be together to remember you, Lord Jesus. Think about this. We're completely righteous in you because of you, because of your grace, your mercy, your death on the cross and resurrection from the dead. Thank you, Lord. This is a truly miraculous thing that we are as righteous as you, Lord Jesus, no more, no less, perfected, holy in the sight of God. I remember this and when tempted to think that something's wrong with us because of sin. It's just a flat-out lie. We understand how the devil likes to accuse us, but thank you, Lord Jesus, you're our defender, our savior, the righteous one. Thank you for that. Thank you for the day that will be in the future when we will always feel righteous and be looking righteous in every which way. What a time that will be. And so, as it says, even in 1 Corinthians 11, we're to keep doing this until you come back because you want us to remember you. As Steve said before, the Jews were fickle, and we are fickle, and we forget you. Don't let us be that way. Lord, might our remembrance of you be a daily thing, not just a a once-a-week thing or a a once-a-month thing here at this communion time. Help us to remember you. And we say that remember you with, with love and with intimacy and affection and heart and soul. Not just this head knowledge, but heart knowledge. Thank you again now for this time we have to remember you. In Jesus' name, amen. All of you have your communion cups. If not, anybody had not have one, raise your hand. Okay. First Corinthians chapter 11, 23. I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, in the night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup also after supper, saying, This cup is a new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Again, Lord, we thank you. And simply put, we know, Lord, Jesus, Father, Holy Spirit, you love us greatly, perfectly so. This morning, together, we tell you that we love you. And thank you for who you are and what you've done for us. And thank you that it won't be long we're all together in heaven. It really won't be when you think about time really being that which flies. We thank you. It'll be a wonderful day. But now we live for you. We remember you. We know you love us. We love you. Just help us to grow in knowing your love. Help us to grow in loving you. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Good morning. Uh, upcoming events are for July 6th. We have the uh, Prophecy Bible Study and the Fellowship Hall at 645. Uh, July the 8th, uh, this Friday, we have the men's meeting. Uh, it's a great time for us to uh, get together, have a meal, and share what's going on in our life and, uh, and read the Word. 
Also, on July the 23rd, we're going to have a work day, 8 a.m. Uh, if you're able to come, you can come for an hour, you can come for two hours. Uh, we have some uh, items outside the church that needs to be taken, mainly outside. Uh, we need some cleanup to do. So um, now we have the last song and the offering. Remember, offering always you can give online, and also we have a box uh, on the back. Thank you. Have a great week. So if you'd stand one last time with me as we end our service, we always like to have a, a song that's a go out and get them song, okay, and that's what this one's about. I, it, it would be amazing if somehow God would make little dotted lines for you on the, on the ground everywhere you go so you know exactly where you're supposed to go and it'd stop in front of somebody and say, talk to this guy and doesn't work that way, but he does, if we read his word, uh, show us about himself and the way we're supposed to live, and as we pray, we trust that he will bring people into our paths that he wants us to talk to, and, and things that he desires us to do, he will reveal to us, and it's a great concept that uh, step by step, he'll lead us in the way that he wants us to go. Oh God, you are my God, and I will ever praise you. Oh God, you are my God, and I will ever praise you. I will seek you in the morning, I will learn to walk in your ways, and step step to lead me and I will follow all of my days I will follow all of my days I will follow you all of my days and step by step to lead me and I will follow you all of my days oh God you are my Stay.